This scripture comes from Isaiah 25, 1 through 9. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city of ruin, the foreigner's palace, is a city no more, and it will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong people will glorify your city of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against the wall like a heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as a heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up all the mountains of coverage that is cast over all the people, the veil that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away the tears from their face, and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken." It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Amen. Good morning. (laughs) Glad to see you here today. Glad to be here today. Uh, In this, our weekly celebration of the grace of God in Christ, we uh, rejoice because God has been good to us. Today we're coming to a passage of Scripture. that, uh, wow, it is maybe the most important fact is at the center of this passage where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I think the first time I preached from this passage was at a funeral. It was the funeral of my six-year-old niece. That was hard. The last time we noticed that uh, Jesus waited 
Mary and Martha sent for Jesus and he said, let's give it a couple of days. We sort of focused on the how long, O Lord, which there's an aspect of this. But the conclusion of our, where we left off in the story last time was Thomas, who said, let us also go, that we may die with him, this expression of trust. To say, even if, even if it means dying, we are going with Christ. What Jesus is going to show us in the passage we're looking at today is, even if it means dying, it doesn't mean dying. He's going to say that explicitly. <clears throat> but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start at the beginning of the story. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So it might have taken a day to get him in the tomb. He's been in the tomb for four days. He is, as the expression goes, dead and gone. Bethany, this text says, was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. I think the implication there is people from Jerusalem had come to Bethany for Mary and Martha. This might say something about the uh, importance or influence of this family in this community. There are other indications in the scripture that they had some importance or influence. So there's a crowd going, gathering to mourn the death of Lazarus. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here. Did you ever say anything like that to God? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, some people are inclined to take that as sort of a rebuke, like, where were you? I don't take it that way. There's no reason to think Martha had any idea that 
there was anything but a very good reason for the delay. I think it's a statement of trust, of faith, of if it's, it's not where were you, it's oh, I wish you had been here. Because if you had been here, you would have healed him and he would not have died. It's a statement of faith in the character of the man Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, I almost left something out here. Martha goes on to say, even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's saying, look, God does what you ask for. I do not think she's anticipating what is about to happen. In fact, it's quite clear later in the story, in the part we're maybe going to get to next time, it's quite clear she does not anticipate that. I mean, who would? She's simply saying, I know you have a unique and union relationship with God the Father. What you ask for, he gives. So Jesus says, and this is one of those occasions in the book of John where Jesus says more than anyone knows he's saying when he says it. Your brother will rise again. Again, I think, Martha does not take that to be Something like, I am about to raise Lazarus back right now. She doesn't take it that way. She says, I know. I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She has hope in resurrection. She anticipates that for Lazarus. So, this is... While preaching my niece's funeral as far as I can go, she will rise again. Not today. Not today. Well, unless Jesus comes today. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Well, that is, we're, we're likely to take this kind of the wrong way now. Because that is actually the resurrection day. You know, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he's not living now. And like you and me, is still waiting for what Martha says here. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That is the resurrection. Jesus has said this several times during the, in the book of John. 
chapter 5, chapter 6, several times it says, I will raise them up on the last day. Not this week, that day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this is one of those seven famous I am statements in the book of John. I am the resurrection. Not I am going to do the resurrection. Not I am going to make a resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus is not just the one who brings us back from the dead. He is the life we live following that. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this reminds me of Romans chapter 6 or Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to read to you Romans chapter 6. Paul has preached the good news of salvation, justification by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. And then he asks this question, what should we say then? Are we, should we keep on sinning that grace may abound? He says, well, that's stupid. How can we die to sin and still live in it? Now, then he takes a deep theological dive in Romans chapter 6. He says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Baptized means closely identified with We're, in this case, it's always important when you see the word baptized to notice what it's in. And here, it's in Christ himself. As though the water of your baptism were Christ. You, ha you are identified with Christ. Like cloth being dipped into red dye, it doesn't come out green. You have been baptized into Christ, and you're baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in newness of life. If we have been, here's the key word here, united with him. In his death. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Like his, I'm sorry. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, died with Christ, we believe that we will excuse me, also live with him. We know that <clears throat> Christ being raised from the dead, here's a key statement, 
will never die again. You see, the resurrection of Christ has a whole other nature to the resurrection of Lazarus that day. The resurrection of Lazarus that day is a demonstration of the power of resurrection that Christ possesses in himself, which he has said a couple of times already in the book of John. The, the Father has given me life in myself. Well, <clears throat> Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must notice yourselves to be dead to sin. And that's his answer to the question. So should we just keep sinning then? No, he says you should notice sin is not, has no power over you. You are dead to it but alive to God in Christ Jesus. How are you alive to God? Because you have been united to Christ by God. You are united to Christ. You weren't even thought of by anybody yet at the time, but you were on the cross of Christ in Christ. If you have trusted him, you are united to Christ. This is a very important, though maybe a little bit obscure, uh, doctrine of Christian faith. Our union with Christ. <coughs> he, say, he goes on, he says, so don't let sin reign in your body, in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought, not will be, have been brought from death to life and your members in to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. What is the dominion of sin? Death. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is very uh, similar to what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love <coughs> with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How do you receive the kindness of God? In Christ. How do you receive the grace of God? In Christ. How do you receive resurrection? You participate in the resurrection of Christ. Our participation in resurrection to eternal life is in our union with Jesus Christ. <coughs> Jesus goes on. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's an interesting phrase, shall never die. <coughs> it really says something like this, shall never die forever. And that is, uh, you know, there's a lot of grammatical options as to what exactly he's trying to say there. I think he means that someone who is alive on the day of resurrection will never die. If someone's alive at that time who believes in Christ, they'll never die forever. He might also mean just exactly the same thing as what he says in the previous line, even if he does die, he won't really die. Even if he dies, he'll still be alive. That's, that's literally what it says. Though he die, yet shall he live. He's not really saying if he dies, then one day he'll rise again. He's saying even if he dies, he's not really dead. <coughs> Which is exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for the believer. If you die today in Christ, well, yeah, you've died, but you go, yet you live. Whoever believes, even if he dies, will live. Whoever lives and believes will never die. No, not die forever. <laughs> Those who are united to Christ don't die even when they die. You got that? Death is permanently reversed for those who are in Christ. He died, we died in him and are raised in him already a fact which will be completely realized on the last day when our bodies are also raised like his. 
sorry. Those who are united to Christ don't die even when they die. Death is permanently reversed for those who are in Christ. A fact that is present now. That's the way we are encouraged to live in Romans chapter 6. Live in the recognition of that thing that is already true. That we have died to sin in our union with Christ and we have been raised to a new type of life in our union with Christ. And that fact will be completely realized one day. And we will experience the same resurrection of the body that Christ experienced into a bodily life this same body, the one that dies, is going to be raised in such a way that it is no longer subject to death whatsoever. So, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this? You believe it? <coughs> and when he says to Martha, do you believe? This is not a simple, do you think what I have just said is true? That's how we tend to take that expression, do you believe this, in English at least. The word believe that's used in the book of John is stronger than that. Do you, it could be read like this, do you personally rely on this reality? Do you believe? It's not just do you think these statements are true, it's do you trust me to be the resurrection and the life for you? And that's the question for us even now, or for anyone dealing with Jesus it's not, do I, do I think Jesus is a, is a real character of history or do I think what he says here is true or as opposed to false? It's, do I trust him to be resurrection for me? <clears throat> That's exactly what Paul is encouraging us to do in Romans chapter 6. He's, he's not saying... Uh, no, get out your law book and obey as hard as you can. He says, no, rely on this reality which Christ has accomplished for you. And you are in him. Paul is saying, look, given who you are now because of the death and resurrection of Christ, it makes no sense for you to behave like a slave when you are free. Are you stupid? That's literally what I how I read that beginning, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Paul's response is, God forbid. That, that is crazy talk. Why would you continue in the way of life that Christ has set you free from? You don't want to be a sinner. 
And now, because the new life that you have in the Spirit in Christ, the new life that you are already a participant in, purchased by the death of Christ and guaranteed by the resurrection of Christ, you're free. So, instead of, you know, continuing to behave like a slave, give, offer yourself to God, and he will, be, he will use you as an instrument of great goodness, of righteousness. So the question is always, do you believe in him? Do you trust in him? Do you rest yourself in the work of Christ and not yours? We always begin in the Christian life, every day, all day, always begin in a position of the assurance of the work of Christ. I do not, my, my living of the Christian life is not based on my determination to live the Christian life, to behave like a believer. It is to be a believer. And then, of course, I behave as I am. I always, always, always come from the word of God, the promise of God that I am safe in Christ. This is always the question. Now, we already know Martha believed and he's saying, do you believe? Look, we're Christians, we believe in Jesus, and yet the question for us remains, do you believe? This is always the question. If you're worried about your behavior as a Christian, the, the, the approach to that is not uh, some sort of uh, behavioral therapy. Not, okay, I'm going to be good, and if I am good, I'll reward myself, and if I'm not good, I'll punish myself. Not, nothing like that. It's to remember who Christ is, the resurrection and the life. And it is to trust in that, first of all. Now, this remains the question because we're always forgetting And we ask dumb questions like, you mean I could just keep sinning and get away with it? To which Paul says, that's a dumb question. You, you don't want to keep sinning, right? You really want not to sin, right? Well, now you have the new life of Christ that makes that possible. And so you operate by faith, by resting in Christ and proceeding from there. <clears throat> so Martha has a response. 
And just like we did last week, we're going to close this week with a response. Like Thomas said, well, let's us go too. Wherever Jesus goes, we're going with him, even if it kills us. Now we have a bit more information. Thomas said, wherever Jesus goes, we go too, even if it kills you. And Jesus adds to that, yeah, and even if it kills you, it doesn't. How good is that? So you can boldly follow Christ because in Christ, your death has been permanently and unalterably been reversed so that even if you do die, you don't. And you can expect to live eternal life because you already possess it. So, Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe. He says, you believe this. Maybe it was a little like this. You believe this, right? You trust me, right? And just like Thomas said, hey, when it comes down to it, I, we trust him. When we don't understand the timing, we trust him. When we're like, man, if you'd only been here, we trust him. Because in him, we possess the resurrection and the life. I believe you are the Christ, <clears throat> the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The one sent that's important in the book of John, right? Jesus is always talking about he's only here because he was sent. He only does what he was sent to, be, to do. Sent. You're the one coming into the world, the Son of God. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of Israel. It's interesting in the Greek text where she says, I believe. It's actually a perfect tense verb. And it literally means something like this. I have come to believe. I switched from unbelief to belief, and I am now a believer. The perfect tense is a change of state. The world used to be this way, then this happened, and now it's this way. I believed, I've come to believe, and I believe now because I have come to believe. This is what we already knew, right? She believed already. She says, I believe whatever you ask for, you're going to get. He says, do you believe? She says, yes, I already believed. The heart set of the Christian is a heart set to faith. And we, you know, collapse. We flaw, fall off of it. And we, but... Any old day you can get back in your head, wait, Jesus, 
I believe. I've come to believe. It's not a reversible condition. I've come to believe that you are who you say you are, the Christ, the Son, the one sent. She has entered into a state of trusting him. And so have we. And because we trust in him, we are these people. Whoever trusts me, even if he dies, yet shall he live. And if someone lives and believes in me, he'll never die forever. And that is what we celebrate in our union with Christ. We participate in his death. And my sin was punished in the death of Christ. And the life I live now, I live by faith, as Paul says, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And when we come to this table, all we're doing is celebrating. And we are with Martha. We just said we believed. And Jesus says, do you trust me? And we say, yes, Lord, I believe. And that's all we do when we come here. You know, you don't get saved by eating this bread or drinking this juice. It's not a participation in this ritual that saves us. It's the thing this ritual represents, the death of Christ. And so we come to the table to celebrate our salvation through his sacrifice. Not to gain it, but to rejoice in it. It's a feast, a celebration. There's no necessary preparation for it then, other than to recognize Jesus in it. There's no, uh, you, you don't have to get right to come to Christ. Coming to Christ is getting right. He is the resurrection and the life, not your promise of doing better first. So when you come to the table, you just come to the table with empty hands. It's, a, it's a, an emblem of receiving something by grace, that means for free. There's no price. So if you are a believer, this is for you. If you don't trust Christ, this is a meaningless bit of nonsense. So don't bother with it. But if you are a believer, let us celebrate together. Father, we give you thanks for the goodness that you have exhibited to us in the person of Jesus, in the work of Jesus, in the words of Jesus. As we come to the table today, we, uh, we celebrate this reality. We rejoice to know that it is finished. It's not a work for us to accomplish, but a work for us to rest in. Father, as we come today, we rejoice in that amazing grace. Amen.